Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Kristen Prozen. Kristen is a 26-year-old herbalist, yoga teacher, and scared white woman. I've had the pleasure of learning Thai yoga massage from her, and she teaches with grace and understanding. In this conversation, we discuss the universal relationship of plants, activism through addressing cultural bias, and the death of her grandmother. Before we dive a little bit deeper into Kristen, I want to talk about the long-form Sundays post that you'll find at mnmwod.com. That's M-N-M-W-O-D dot C-O-M. M-N-M-W-O-D, mobility and mindfulness work of the day. And you probably have noticed, especially if you're subscribing through iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, if you aren't, you probably should, because that's the easiest way to get these updates. If, you, uh, if you're subscribed that way, you've probably been noticing that I've been putting out uh, like little three, four minute uh, readings of those long form posts, and I hope that you've been enjoying them. Uh, the one that was posted two weekends ago, so March 5th, uh, was on a maternal grandfather, and that... Um, I reflected on the death of my maternal grandfather and recount the first and only time I saw him. On the 12th, I posted a reflection called On Happiness and Appreciation, and I reflected on the wind down of Course 7, that's Course 7 of medical school, uh, the second year of medical school, and concurrent rise of spring in Florida. I give thanks for my partner, for my jujitsu practice, and my green plant babies. So, Please check those out, either the audio recordings through your favorite podcasting app, Stitcher, iTunes, whatever have you, on Death Podcast, or you can go to mnmwad.com, read it in in its full glorious uh, type, I think it's, I forget, it's made, I think Tahoma is its typeset, I don't know, <laughs> my partner's laughing at me, and she should be, because I didn't plan this out before I really started reading, Um and uh, there you'll find all, all, the, all the writings and all the podcasts, all the previous ones. And I think this is uh, Kristen. She will be interview number 41 or maybe 42, something like that. Pretty cool stuff. So back to Kristen. Uh, I've known her for about a year now. We've been, uh, we, we met online and she, I met her in person by accident, like at, while I was get, going out of my float uh, at, um, at Sacred Floats and Gems here in Tampa. Uh, and we've just, we just know a lot of the similar people and I'm like, she's, she's a cool person. And, um, re- and I also recently about a, a month ago got the opera, as I mentioned earlier to, uh, go to a Thai yoga massage uh, workshop with her where she, uh, taught for about a couple hours and we went over the Thai yoga massage, which if you don't know what it is, look it up, Google it, and then have somebody do it to you who's experiencing it because it's really, really cool stuff. It's sort of like yoga, but very passive, um, and you do it with a buddy. So one person is the giver, one person is the receiver. The receiver is laying down, um, and the giver uh, like works, does some body work, uh, pr- applies pressure through the hands and the feet, uh, puts the receiver in different positions that are really, really nice and very, very passive. And uh, she taught this uh, this workshop very with a lot of grace and a lot of a lot of empathy, and just it was, just, it was a fun time. She get, she made like these delicious homemade uh, chocolate rose like. I don't even know what you call them. What would you call them? Truffles, delicious truffles, and they were they were so, so good. And the and the course was really really great. And um, I was really looking forward to the opportunity to bring her in and talk to her about the four prompts. And we nerded out super hard about our love of plants. Um, she works as an 
she she practices as an herbalist, uh, teaches uh, some workshops in the Tampa area, and she's also a yoga teacher. Um, and she, we also talk a little bit about about her jujitsu practice because she's in, she practices it as well, which is really really cool stuff. And uh, we talk about her her you know she grew up uh, with no spiritual practices per se, but uh, she she identifies a little bit as a witch, and uh, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful word when you understand the 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 foundation of it uh not necessarily the 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 old lady with a boil on her nose with a big creepy pot cauldron stirring it but as as somebody who who has a strong relationship with plants and can can uh bring bring that knowledge to to help others and uh it's pretty cool stuff i think you'll really like this conversation uh she she definitely has the 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 cadence and the attention span of a teacher she uh, this was a great interview because I didn't have to do a whole lot. She, I just, I asked her a question and she just ran with it, which is really, really great. You can really hear how, how much she loves to teach and how comfortable she is in front of a group of people by the way that we hold this conversation and the way she, she just has these thoughts that come in paragraphs and, and whole and whole essays. It's really, really great stuff. And I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. I hope you are drinking tea like my partner is. She's drinking some sort of tea concoction. I hope you're drinking some sort of tea concoction or maybe just hot water um, if you're if you're into that. So enjoy this conversation with Kristen Prozen on death. It is uh, Mar- Ooh, it's March 1st. It's March 1st. It is March 1st. 2017. I'm sitting here in my Tampa apartment with Kristen Prosen. Prosen? Prosen. Prosen. And we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. And I'll throw it to you. Kristen, what are the four prompts? I am blank. And um, before I die, I want blank. When I die, I want blank. And after I die, I want blank. Awesome. Now, how do you finish that first prompt? I am. I am embodied heart presence. Embodied heart presence. Embodied heart presence. So, I don't know where you begin the the actual recording that you share with people, but we just spoke about the different layers of human ambition. You know, if the first thing I ask you is what's really important to you, you'll probably be like, oh, paying my bills and making sure <laughs> my dog goes outside and drinking enough water. And and then and then even deeper, it's like meaningful relationships and spending time with my family. And then even deeper, it's like, ooh, connecting to the earth and you know so we have a lot of different layers mm-hmm. of um of what we could answer for i am blank and i think my deepest answer which is at once what i strive to be and also what i am just seeking on cultivating in my every sing- everyday life and then also what i think we are at the core is embodied heart presence awakened presence and you know so it's actually my mantra lately i am awake oh embodied heart presence i'm embodied heart presence this is a good mantra yeah is there now what is what is what is the absence of heart presence feel like because that might be easier for people to understand mm -hmm. um disconnection disembodiment um it, it could look like a lot of things um maybe not being connected to um, the needs of your body. Like, oh, I need more protein today, or I need less sugar, or I'm thirsty, I need water, or I need cold water, or I need hot water. You know, Mm -hmm. just um, 
Uh, or I need, like in the case of yoga, I need a yin practice today. I need restorative. I need soothing for the nervous system. Or perhaps I need a more active practice. I need to get my heart rate up. So um, that's a symptom of being disembodied, not really being able to identify the needs of the different layers of yourself mm. and being able to meet them. Is it, and is it, is true embodiment, is it the ability to read the fact that your body wants something, for example, and being able to actually understand what it's asking for? Because I met, is uh, is it is like a partial layer of that embodiment, like knowing something's wrong, your body wants something, you're like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm like, ah, I'm just going to eat. Yeah, you know, there's, I would not pretend to be an expert on mm-hmm. what true embodiment is. I'm just really beginning to explore that. Uh, as a deep spiritual practice embodiment and recognizing the needs of the body, of the physical body as means to dive into the energetic body and the mental body and the wisdom body and the bliss body. So like the different layers of bodies that we exist within, the different sheaths of ourselves. Um, so what was the question? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, let's, let's back up. What, how do you, how do you feel like you have attained embodiment of? Mm. How do I feel like I've attained embodiment? You know, I think that I would not say that I have. So no. at the beginning of, of the conversation, I am blank. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that is where I strive to live. I cannot, and it's a really new it's a really new intention. Never have I had such a deep and pure intention in my entire practice or in my entire life where it was, there was, there's no ego in that intention. I mean, in my perception or in my navigation of it, maybe I'm not, it's brand new, so I might not be articulating it Mm -hmm. really adequately or well enough, but um, it's a brand new thing that I'm exploring uh, what true embodiment means. And when I say that, I suppose it's really important to um, discuss where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, there's a myriad of experiences that I've been cultivating over the last, like, let's just say three years since I really started <laughs> working with the plants and mm-hmm. the earth. And, um, I just am fresh off of going to an herbal conference, which I've been to many, but for some reason this one was really significant and profound. And the Florida herbal conference in particular is where I just was. And I studied with the woman who runs the conference and a couple of teachers come in from up north from around Florida and there's a bunch of friends that I have there everyone who just really loves plants and loves working (laughs) with the herbs Mm -hmm. and when you're there there's no electronics and you're probably camping and you're sitting on the ground Mm -hmm. and you're walking bare feet and you're just like getting real crunchy with it and what is really significant about that is that when you put all of the, uh, the electronics away and you you get to hear because there's a circle of people who are also lifting up this experience, you get to hear a really soft and subtle but extremely powerful vibration of the earth and of plants. And from the way that I 
kind of am beginning to understand it. For us, if like the sun was to come and shine on us, we'd be like, oh yeah, okay. And we may be able to enjoy it for a second, but then it's like, oh, it's way too hot. And oh, I wish it was a little bit different. I wish it was a little shadier. Oh, I don't deserve the sun shining (laughs) on me. We'd have all of these Mm -hmm. egotistical like uh, desires and aversions associated with being, um, you know, (laughs) basking in the glory of the sun. But a plant even though there are intricacies of needs that a plant has to like really grow and be happy, good soil, no toxins in the soil, water, sunlight, etc., that plant is not like there's no ego within that plant to be like, oh, I don't like that. And this is good. And this is bad. It just is. Mm -hmm. Even if it does have something we perceive negative happen to the plant and the plant will respond, um, you know, it's it's not saying that it's bad. It's not judging it as bad. It just it just either dies and lives, and it's not really attached to life, right? And so, when we're working with the plants, I should say part of this. I am. I'm also an herbalist, and I'm a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And I think I lean a lot more towards herbalism than I do really? for yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as like my deep where my heart is. Yoga is a lot more of a tool uh, to connect with the plants, but. So that plant doesn't have any ego and like that is the perfect example of union uh, of just being. And I think plants are the greatest meditation teacher. And I watched this weekend and I've seen this and I've never been able to articulate it. These different teachers who have been working with plants and working in their gardens for decades, how embodied they are and how connected they are to the people they are standing in front of to the plants that they're working with and to like the world at large. And there's no shying away from the pain of the world. They respond to it. Mm -hmm. There's no, um, you know, and they lift up the joys and they, you know, lift up the challenges. And I, I want that for myself. I want that, that union and that relationship. And so I find that to be really heart-centered. And so, uh, you know, I want to be... In, and that comes from being embodied in general and then just a general presence for this moment and reading the energy of this moment and being able to be radically present with the needs of the body as it relates to the challenges around us and the who's in front of us and giving to the people in front of us and... So that's where this comes from, like this embodied heart presence. Um, just like a couple of really amazing examples that I've been able to bear witness to. And I, I know that while you're talking about um, people that have worked a lot with plants and have a, have a deep understanding of them, mm-hmm. have tended garden and land and, and, and th- those communities of mm-hmm. life, um, I, I'm, I remember that some some like Amaz- some Amazonian tribes call call the plants like the older brothers. Mm-hmm. Like they're they are the the they're slower they're and they're way more relaxed than than the human counterparts are. Like the little little scrappy animals. And I found from from taking care of some plants, like when I moved to Florida and Tampa, I was like, oh man, I'm in this apartment alone. Like ah, what am I gonna do? And I started get I went over to uh the um botanical garden and I got some plants mm-hmm. and it's been the nicest thing and I feel like everybody should take care of some, just mm-hmm. some plants because it's 
it is a, a, a wonderful practice of le- of learning how to think on a longer time scale. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful, and like to slow us down because to re- recognize the needs of that basil plant out there, it's you really have to drop into your body to recognize needs because you can read in a book, okay, like move into the sun and like give it this much shade and this much water. But ultimately it's just by looking at witnessing, bearing Mm. witness to that plant that is going to tell you what it needs. And obviously there is learning involved and then you learn all the bits and pieces, but you apply it and know what to apply and when to apply by true witnessing, not just with your eyes, but with your body. And I think that one thing that's amazing about working with the plants too is that it's incredibly universal. Um, You know, we're in a really challenging time right now and I am a white woman Mm -hmm. and I've struggled with whiteness for a minute. Like, (laughs) oh, white people are just fucked up. And and cultural appropriation and stealing these things from other cultures and making it theirs and commodifying it, which I think, you know, isn't just like a white person thing in our culture. It's, but it's... They've been like the most successful at it. It's been, yeah. And so I've struggled with that, but... When I'm in a circle of people lifting up the plants, you know, what in yoga, I'm like, oh, we're taking something. I mean, it's been gifted to us, certainly. There are great teachers who have been, let's share this with the West. Everybody needs this, and that's true. But there are aspects of a yoga practice that I myself have engaged in that are just not my tradition, and mm-hmm. they're not mine. And, you know, I love chanting and, and doing these different sacred activities, but... And I have a teacher who is just so devoted and, you know, it's his calling to live with his gurus in an ashram and to chant to Durga like for six hours a day. And it's beautiful and he is centered and he is deeply connected. And I talk to him all the time and we communicate about yoga and about all these different things. He was one of my first teachers. But, you know, there's something missing in terms of I'm not. Like, that's really beautiful, and I respect, and I admire, and I learn from him, but I'm not hooked by that particular tradition. And when, you know, and in a way, it feels like I'm a spectator, mm-hmm. and I'm like a spiritual um, tourist, mm-hmm. in a way, of like mm-hmm. going to these different cultures, like, ooh, what do you do? I'm going to wear that headdress, and I'm going to go to Coachella, and like, be <laughs> like a, you know, mm-hmm. white person who can do whatever they want, and, you know, wear the wear the bindi or wear the feathers in their hair and wear the braids and act, you know, like I'm some sort of cultural tourist, spiritual Mm -hmm. bypassing in a way. I'm going to look like I'm doing something. I'm going to take it up from all these other cultures. But with plant work, I found, you know, that is my culture. Like undoubtedly there were women in my family who were witches. And if they were, you know, like, Plant work is 80% of the world's healthcare. Every single culture had healers. Mm-hmm. Every single culture worked with the plants. That's how we did, that's how humans do medicine, you know, because we have a direct relationship with these plants. And so when, and the plants that we work with in the Western Materia Medica, they're, some of them are growing outside our, I mean, we're in Florida, so it's not so much, but if we go a little bit north, those plants are growing in our yard. 
it's, you know, it's, I'm not stealing anyone's culture. I'm not trying someone's culture on to Mm -hmm. see if it fits me. And if it goes well with me, there's complete alignment with, of course, the plant work is mine. And the best part about that is that now when we visit other cultures, it's like, you love the plants too. (laughs) Teach me about your plants. I would love to know about your plants. Mm -hmm. Teach me how you honor the earth. Teach me how you work with the human body. So it, it takes something from, I'm just going to put this on and dress and look good and make it look like I'm growing spiritually. So my family doesn't think I'm so crazy (laughs) to, Oh, I can really be a part of this. And this is not something that I'm taking from anyone. This is mine. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that as a white woman, you know, what's white culture? It's not kind and Mm -hmm. it's, it's sad and it's scary and it's harmful and it's divisive, but there is a culture that is available to me and to every single person, which is really amazing. That is not divisive. And it is not, um, you know, it's not cutting people off. And it's actually deeply, deeply traditional. And, you know, even though maybe my mother was too drugged up to ever honor that part of her ancestry, and maybe my grandmother was too fearful in a time to honor the ancestry, she's um, a quarter Native American, and even maybe my great-grandmother, who, and you know, or my great-great-grandmother who was Native, you know, maybe she didn't have the opportunity to work with the plants, but it's still in my blood. And to me, like, it's, it, I get that, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's... It's like your birthright. Yeah. And it, it, while yeah. you were talking, it's it was like a very, like a rough analogy would be um, that a lot of these, a lot of the cultures, the spiritual cultures that people appropriate from is almost like, it's almost like a... a, a a specific religious sect mm-hmm. and you're you're kind of creating this culture and it's very very thing and you can kind of pull stuff out of it and mm-hmm. rip it apart um versus having a a direct relationship with god mm-hmm. and yeah. the, like just just you and that and that god and your god and directly mm-hmm. and that's that's like the the relationship people have with plants is you can have i can have a i have a relationship with pencil cactus because i have been work i've been working with that pencil cactus for a year it's finally starting to grow after like a full year and it's wonderful um but and no one can take that away from me and it's it's universal in that everybody can can have a relationship with a pencil cactus and we can all hang out and Mm. we can be like these things are awesome yeah and that pencil cactus like if we think about it in a particular way any of these plants they are in perfect union you know, maybe the circumstances for them being the healthiest plants that they can be are not perfect, but they are still in perfect union with whatever is. And to me, that's like one step away from being with God. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I sort of had that realization this weekend, uh, watching these incredible people move through the world with such grace and compassion, which are things that I've tried to like struggle to be because I am also scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm. And I'm paralyzed at times with the destruction that is happening to the earth, uh, the disenfranchisement of different cultures, and trying to, like, trying to burn compassion into my body and, like, be compassionate and be kind and be graceful and, like, wake up every day and, like, pull to be that when it's, like, that striving is is just another way of me trying to contort my body into being something that people are going to like. And so pulling back and 
let me just connect with the plants because if I can do that, I'm going to learn. Everything will fall. Everything will fall into place. Mm. And, and, and one, I, there's a, a fellow that I like to listen to, Aubrey Marcus, and he has this little bit about that the mind, the consciousness is fast, mm-hmm. like a rabbit moves so fast. We can change our minds and we can, we can change our opinions and just go from one, one goal to another goal to another goal. But the body is like a plant. It's mm-hmm. slow. It's, it takes time to change. It takes months mm-hmm. and years for a body to recycle itself, to go from, to, to like, if you start eating well, eating nutritious, uh, rejuvenating foods, it takes years for that, all of that. Well, it to actually work its takes way. 45 days for like what we eat today. 45 years from now, the, what we ate to, or 40, 45 days from now, according to Ayurvedic traditions, what we eat today will be transferred into the, all the tissues of our body. So it takes like six weeks mm-hmm. for like the, you know, for our food to penetrate all tissues. So, you know, we, that's why we start feeling so much better as soon as we cut sugar out. Exactly. Oh, it feels so good. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes a long time for our body to recycle itself. Absolutely. And being able to, like, tend to plants and just realize, like, oh, you guys are moving real slow, and I gotta, mm-hmm. I can't just be constantly changing where you are. Like, I can't transplant you all the time. Mm-hmm. I have to let you settle, and mm-hmm. then you can do stuff. Do you yeah. want to help with that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, and that, that brings up, like, the heart. You know, I'm, it, my, mon- my, my language used, yoga nidra is this really beautiful practice, and it can really affect the consciousness because we're going into the subconscious, much like hypo- hypnotherapy, but the practitioner themselves plants a seed for personal transformation. And so my sankalpa, my deep intention that I was working with uh, was I am embodied presence, and I just recently added the heart into it because... I want to be centered in my heart, like literally in my heart rather than being up in my brain. And I think, you know, that's disembodiment when all of my, I'm in my head all Mm -hmm. the time. And I really want to take it down and make Mm -hmm. sure that I'm not just, you know, if we're in our heart, we're in our body. Traditional Chinese medicine says that the heart is, is like the brain of the body. And if the heart is being followed, then, you know, the heart will, bring health to the rest of the body and the conductor of the endocrine system, <laughs> so to speak. And so, mm-hmm. so that, you know, just, you know, being with plants brought me back into my body and I want to stay there. <laughs> and you, and you mentioning briefly the, your, your, the, your native American past and how, how ancestors um, were very likely witches at one point and, mm-hmm. and the, the, horrific loss of of plant knowledge and plant relationships that happened with the inquisition and 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 the the burning of witches and and just wholesale loss of that kind of that those relationships and that information and then mm-hmm. that that all those relationships being uh, replaced with fear yeah. um is it's very it's tragic and it's something that's not thought about like we lost so much mm-hmm. knowledge with that and Absolutely. especially Europeans but like even it's just really just really sad it's just yeah. really it is. It is. Um, I know. Yeah. I mean. Which is what, and and like those those <laughs> that those kinds of relationships takes time. Like in the same way that a fire in a forest, it takes time for other things to come back. But even what does come back is not going to look exactly like what was before. And yeah. it's a little like now when we're like getting all witchy. I'm also like, oh, and here is how this plant may disrupt 
thyroid balance, you know? So it's like, it's almost, it's really interesting now because it's not just, oh gosh, take this, take this plant because it's going to make you feel better. It's like, take this plant and cut this out of your diet because there are these particular hormones that are created when you eat this and this is how it disrupts the lining of this and this mm-hmm. plant is going to offer you these bio-nutrients so that you, you know, so it's, it's a lot more, it's almost more balanced in a way because we can... Because we have like the the beautiful uh, medical system and the dissection, and so we're able to like to really understand on a microcosmic level mm-hmm. what's what's happening. Like we plants. have we had the the big view of like what is like the the like ecosystem person level sort of mm-hmm. um, get these plants in them, they'll be fine. But now and now with like we medicine, know we know why. Yeah, now now we <laughs> can like. Use a microscope and look really deep. Yeah, how does this how does this work? Did you have a religious or spiritual uh, background to your childhood? You know what? I did not have a religious background. I had a very divided family when my mother and father divorced. But my mother's side of the family, of course, with my we were witches. Like I went there to visit my aunt, who was kind of like the central hub, and my grandmother, who has since passed, and and we were witches. That's what that's what I knew us to be, and um, you know it was very esoteric. It was very new agey. They were definitely children of the new age movement, I think. Um, and then I would like get a witch book, like a book <laughs> of spells, and I'd bring it home. And then my stepmother and my father, who were just doing the best that they could under the conditions that they were raised in, were like, "Oh my goodness, no way." get that out of here so it was like I was a secret witch but (laughs) sometimes it was secret sometimes it wasn't but yeah I definitely no religion um which I think I'm really grateful for to not have been brought up under any like particular dogma um you know there's plus and minus plus sides and bad sides to that but um and the little the little seeds that were planted were for really earth-centered religions and spiritual traditions versus, you know, Christian morals. Mm. And do you uh, look, I, I know that we, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that having a family is something that's really important to you. Do you know what your, um, do you know what practices you would want to have in front of your children and to foster in your children and mm. uh, going forward, um, what you would want, what like what what do you like you know the the environment that you want to present for them? Well, the first one that I I can think of, uh, I is just the practice of you have a need. I recognize you have a need. Let me take care of that. I just came across a friend of mine who I've known since I was about eight years old. She was my sister's best friend, and she had a baby about a year and a half ago, and. I just got to meet her baby and see how they interacted. And a lot of her language was really beautiful and inspiring. Like, oh, I see you need, you need mama. Okay, let me hold you. And then being able to verbalize, I see you. I've never seen that before in parenting. I see you have a need and let me fill it. I mean, it was a a child, like a Mm 15-month-year-old baby. And so um, I just definitely want that uh, that depth of relationship in terms of environment. Of course, 
you know, I want to have, I'd love to have a garden and I'd love to teach them about the plants and I'd love to teach them about the earth and, and just, I think, but above all, just like being kind and being mm-hmm. aware and being compassionate and being present in mm-hmm. their own bodies and with the space around them. While you're talking about the friend, I was thinking about a lot of um, that, that. That sounds like she uh, does a very intentional um, practice of, of respecting her child's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Of like, I like, I see, I see you want to wiggle around, so start like let's mm-hmm. let's let you wiggle rather than trying to uh, then being then. It's, I just see it so much with like with with some parents. They're trying their best. I understand that they're working very hard. They're probably not getting a whole lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's signals that are being missed, and they're they're like doing the contortioning of the child mm-hmm. to the environment that is not a very child friendly environment. Yeah, we learn that at a young age. Oh, I better contort myself to meet you know to make them happy. You know, mm-hmm. whoever them is. And it's it's tough. It's tough for a little child. And uh, I think it's tough for adults, too. I think it's, yeah, we still do it. <laughs> trying, and trying to respect that uh, so that when going forward, as they get in, as they age, they can um, still have that rather than having to, like, deprogram, like, like remove all of that weirdness growing up and trying to have that respect of self-sovereignty going mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that embodiedness that we're talking about. Yeah, because mm-hmm. if we're like tell a child, oh, stop wiggling, then that child immediately learns my needs don't matter mm-hmm. and I need to move my body. But that does not matter in the face of whatever is occurring in this moment, you know. So, you know, that, that, that's the first, first lesson in disembodiment that we get. We're really good at being disembodied because <laughs> we've been learning from a young, young age to neglect our physiological and nervo- nervous system needs. Like move and do do. I would love to circle back a little bit to um, your (laughs) identification as a yogi and also your physical practices. I would love to talk a little bit about that. Cool. What? uh, So I know that you you practice Mm -hmm. jujitsu. What do you? What do you? uh, This is a fun thing that I never have quite figured out. Is like I know a a judo uh, somebody who does judo is a judoka. Uh, What do you call yourself as somebody who practices (laughs) jujitsu? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> so like a jujitsuer. Like I, I've, I've, I've seen jujitsuka. Uh, I've seen a jujitsu player. Like all these. Yeah, random, yeah. Yeah, I don't really call myself a jujitsu player because I, I'm not that serious about it the way that some other people are. For me, it's a great way to move my body, and it's like a, it's, and recently it's been a really beautiful way to watch my own personal patterns and how I relate to men and how I relate to physical activity and how I, how my body moves through time and space. Um, so, you know, I think it, which I think is a beautiful way to approach anything, but that there's a lot of people who are like, I just want my blue belt and I want my black belt. And I just don't really harbor those ambitions. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, or, so I, I don't know. I'm really, really casual jujitsu player. <laughs> it's good. It's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Um, it's a very, it's a wonderfully intimate and uh, at the same time aggressive practice. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. It's it's uh, I when I started rolling, it was just a really I was just like reprogramming so much that I didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. Um, just of like how, like like how tense I would be just like while somebody's just just smothering me with their body. Mm-hmm. It's just like what what is yeah. 
It's a very interesting practice. Yeah, it's so incredible. And what, um, when did you start your yoga practice? I did yoga the first time when I was probably 15. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't remember much except the room was dark and everyone was really quiet and we did legs up the wall and that was great at the <laughs> end. And then I did it a couple of times while I was in high school and it was always like, this is, the, what's downward dog? This is awful. I mm-hmm. hate yoga. And then I really started asana and being interested in asana in college when I was 18. So it's almost 10 years of a I wish it could be more dedicated, but like a, ded- a, a it was yoga was present significantly in my life since I was 18. And yeah. So I mean, if I think about, you know, but ah, let's see like what's yoga? Mm-hmm. You know, we're I, I can't say that I do that much asana. And if I do asana right now, it's it's very different from why I used to do asana. I think I used to do yoga, as I mentioned before, because I was trying to contort my body into something someone would like and make my butt look better or mm-hmm. make my body look better or something. Um, you know, it was like a spiritual bypassing. I just wanted to look like I was better. I didn't really understand the work that needed to go into being Mm-hmm. Um, and so now if I practice asana or when I teach asana or if I practice jujitsu or anything with my body, it's a lot more about how am I doing this? What am I practicing in this moment? Am I practicing from, am I moving from my habitual patterns or can I create more alignment in how I'm doing anything? And alignment is um a sustainable relationship with parts. So yeah, I maybe can do like 10 sun salutations in a row and I can do these poses, but am I doing them in a way that nourishes my heart and my soul? Am I I can do them right now, but the way that I'm doing them, am I going to be able to do that when I'm 50? Am I going to be able to do it when I'm 60? Am I do I have a good relationship of how my joints are stacked and what muscles are being engaged and and so my physical practice is jujitsu is a lot more fun, right? <laughs> so I do that. I try to do that a, a lot more jujitsu, and then I do asana up to the point that I can sit and meditate. Mm. Because my understanding is the asana and the yoga that we understand in the West is a very small portion of like the yeah. actual yoga. In the West, we do exercise. We're doing, you know, an exercise as a way to contort our body into something else you know we're trying to make ourselves look better we're trying to make ourselves look fitter uh and there is very little in the yoga sutras that suggests that we should do any exercise beyond movement that keeps our body generally healthy so that we can sit in a comfortable seated position (laughs) there's asana just means comfortable seat and if we look at the yoga sutras it's like First, take control of your life and be a good person. And second, it says, um, take control of yourself and keep your body healthy. And then third, sit down, which is asana. (laughs) Sit. And then tune the world out. Choose something to focus on and then blend in with that focus. And then there's God. (laughs) So, I mean, there's nothing like go do crow and go do handstands. And that's going to make you see God. So, And so you are... 
embodied in wait, what was it? Embodied in the heart. I am ideal. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I am embodied heart presence. Embodied heart presence. Saying it out loud is not as sexy as it is in my head. I assure you. <laughs> I imagine it's, it's got my, like a nice lilt in the head. It has a nice lilt, and it feels really good to say in my body, and it drops me down immediately into mm. my heart and to and into compassion and into presence and um saying it out loud is does not have that same effect I know. when you say a lot of things out loud it's like oh wow that sounds different uh, coming out of my mouth so you're embodying her presence you are a white woman um you're a yogi you are an herbalist and scared i think that was one that's thrown in there what else are you or or do you want to open any of those up yeah, i am yeah well I think that putting I'm scared and I'm a white woman together a little bit closer, I think, are going to be really important because I I seek also to be an activist Mm -hmm. and to learn how I can serve the world. I am a, hopefully, you know, I'm a servant. I'm I'm of service, Mm -hmm. you know, and not just to the perpetuation of atrocities in this world, but um, learning... Hopefully I can, you know, be of service to women, to people of color, to the earth, and not just, you know. Just perpetuating. Not just perpetuating it, so. And it is a very, it's a very interesting thing, uh, the idea of activism and and the role that each individual can play within it. Because Mm -hmm. it's like you, as a white woman, have have access to a very, like, very interesting demographics. Mm -hmm. And you can be that node for a a network that is very different than, say, a, like, 70-year-old Puerto Rican woman. And and it's, like, in a wonderful way. Like, it has to be different. It must be different. Um, but it's it's also a very interesting thing. It's like how like what how much of it do you try to push the boundaries of what who you can reach mm. uh, versus like what is you contorting yourself? You know what? That's a really good question because I have personally found that it's un- I'm not going to say that it's not possible for a white person to create an inclusive experience, but so far evidence suggests that it's not happening (laughs) and so my I'm still really navigating that because I immediately do want to jump in and fix something and help and be like I'm here for you but that's not how it works Mm -hmm. and so the deepest message that I have heard is to do the work just do my work right now. And there are, like, secret ambitions to do, you know, to be doing bigger work. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the way that I do work currently does have that goal in mind of being able to serve larger populations in different, a myriad of different ways. And I do go out of my way when the opportunity presents itself to hear others speak and to learn learn different ways that I personally could help or, um, you know, deco- how to decolonize X, Y, Z. And, um, but, you know, the biggest thing before I can actually, like, I'm acting already uh, in doing all the work on myself that I can so that when I do show up, I have the financial backing 
to be able to give. I have the composure and the grace and the groundedness to be able to step into circles and do work. I have a notoriety in a certain area so that I can get help. Um, And so that's always the goal, to be of service. And at first, right now, I realize that it looks a little bit selfish because I have to build something so that I can give rather than just be like, give, 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 wear myself out. Mm-hmm. Or give, 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 and keep hitting wall after wall after wall, trying to build up so I can go over. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, there's a common like saying in uh, in like first responders that you you um, you like rescue uh, first responder safety first because if you get hurt while trying to help somebody and you have inadequate equipment, you don't you're not prepared properly. You don't have enough backup, then you create twice as many victims that need assistance um, versus just being waiting for the right time right. and being appropriately prepared for it. Yeah, but I'm I I a lot of the work that I do in my own practice, there is a thread of being of preparation for the time when I can't give or the doors are open. You know, and one thing I think is, as I said, that I don't think I think it's highly doubtful that white people can create inclusive experience if we're talking about social justice and there's a lot of work that I can do but I think the best thing that I could do is lift up the voices of people who are disenfranchised and you know I have to get into a particular position so that I can do a 100% scholarship based teacher training so we can bring more not alternative but just like so that there's more representation in the yoga world or in the herb world and but there's a lot of work that i have to do before i can offer something like that mm. so um i'm working <laughs> sounds like it yeah. in a good way and it's very quietly and very slowly because i'm a plant <laughs> <laughs> just working the roots down slowly doesn't look like a whole lot above ground but there's a lot of stuff happening down there hopefully yeah and it's a very funny th- like you mentioning like it's it's like as like if, even for the, like specifically for this podcast like i I'm so thankful that I am Asian, like I'm Korean, because I know that it would be a very different podcast if I was a white fella trying to like mm-hmm. interview all these people and do all these things. And try, it's a, it's just a different, like as an Asian fella, I have like this really weird, like pass of privilege mm-hmm. of the white privilege, but I also get to be like, I have the mystic part that like yeah. people like append a lot to. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm like, all right, I'll just, you know, ride yeah. this out. Because and recognizing our place in that is really important, you know, like. That's so valuable that you see that and you can you can step into different communities and, uh, you know, you're intelligent and but you are technically you're not white. You're not a white guy. <laughs> so like you can step into these different communities and be trusted a lot more than, say, I might be trusted mm-hmm. or, um, you know, or like a, a white male might be trusted unless they have like obvious decades of work behind them that says i'm doing this for everyone mm-hmm. um and you know it's like just because i'm like all my yoga classes anybody can come no matter who you are that does not mean just because i say that does not mean that it's actually true mm. you know it just i want that to be true but there may be a million ways that i'm perpetuating racism and i have no and i'm blind to it mm-hmm. and um I mean, I do a lot of work to unblind myself, but that's and maybe, I don't know if that makes me like a special white person because I'm like, you know what? This is fucked up. I, <laughs> I don't agree. I don't agree with this. So I'm going to do the work to un- unravel that. 
but there was a lot of paralyzation before I was like, okay, yes, I am going to do that. And so, um, and so that work is still happening, of course, uh, to be kind, <laughs> like to be a good person and do, regardless of skin color, I think is, uh, it's heavy work. And so a lot of people are not willing to pick that up. Yeah, it is tough to realize how, like it, it's very tough to, to realize and acknowledge and then move forward from the fact that we're all pretty racist. And it's, it's like... It, culturally like, biased, I think, is a much better... Culturally biased. Culturally biased. That like, takes away that, like, Right, sting. it does, yeah. And it's a little bit more accurate, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't believe that someone... You know, I don't believe that, like, you know, people of color are less than. That would be racist. But culturally biased is, like, uh, that you know, someone walks in and you automatically have an idea about them because of stereotypical Mm -hmm. views of people. And then you have to be like, oh, that was very stereotypical of me because it's ingrained in our culture. People, you know, do that. There are studies that show like colored children looking at white faces over colored faces and saying that's more beautiful because that is a culturally ingrained Mm-hmm. stereotype and predisposition to view that as more beautiful but that's not truth that is just a cultural bias that we have as a collective society and so the work is really to recognize when cultural bias pops up and to say oh look there it is there's some conditioning that i have and many other people whether they are people of color white people have and I'm going to start to notice it and begin to unravel that for my psyche so that it doesn't inter, in, uh, it doesn't affect, it does not, it's not a factor in how I treat someone. Mm-hmm. I like the, like being able to, re- to respond to a stimuli rather than immediately reacting totally <laughs> Right. Is there something else that you are that you want to finish the prompt I am with, or do you want to move on to before I die? Yeah, I think that. That's a good place to stop. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm a social activist at heart. You are. It's, I can tell. It's, it's, you're. You are very passionate about it in a way that is authentic, and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, how do you finish that prompt before I die? Before I, I die. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's um. You know, if we dive into, like, I feel like I'm dancing around the different layers of that answer. And I, usually what I say to that is, before I die, I want to be a mother. And um, before I die, these are all very, but even that is, like, still pretty superficial. You know, it's pretty of the ego. And before I die, I want to have a house. I want to have a garden and I want to tend to the garden. I want to, I want to be in deeply in love, so much in love that we have to bring another human into the world. (laughs) I want that love and I want, I want to give birth and I want to raise a child and I want to write a book and I want, I have all these like, you know, personal and, um, yeah, personal ambition. Um, and, it's interesting because I've my teacher talks about uh, having a goal, and when we have a goal, everything falls into place. 
And so his goal is like, be one with God and be one with God. And there was never any deviation away from that goal. So now he lives in an ashram with his gurus and he worships God six to eight hours a day <laughs> and he doesn't have a job and he, you know, like that is his job. That's what he does because that is the highest goal and he cut everything out of his life that wasn't serving that goal and that really made me think, oh, wow, like, wow, what's my goal? And like beginning to try to navigate that, which is really amazing that I'm here talking to you at this time because that goal was clarified for me this weekend and I've been collecting like uh, tools to reach that goal without knowing it for mm -hmm. like the last decade. And then finally this weekend in my heart, I feel that that goal has been clarified as deep embodied heart presence. And then all like the different circles around that with what that means and what practices I can use to reside and abide in that goal every single day which is still just like union it's like deep presence in every single moment with like god and with the you like the divine that is within and around us at all times um and so i say before i die i want to be there all the time and that really changes life <laughs> when you have when you have such a defi definitive goal because you know, I say, I want to be a mother, but, you know, and obviously, like, I have to keep living. It's not like I'm just going to die right now, but, like, I could. And then I'm, like, I could die now, but I have still touched that, you know, that goal. And I recognize that goal. And just, like, knowing what the goal is is almost, like, half the battle mm -hmm. of, like, of reaching the goal. So there are goals within that like being a mother and having a home and paying off my student loans and making sure my dog gets to play today. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I guess uh, to like, to, to reach that goal is, is, is what I want before I die and to go dive as far into the spiritual evolution that is, meeting that goal as I possibly can in this mm. lifetime. Mm. It's uh, there are so many layers to peel back. <laughs> the first one is the, the idea of, uh, of, of finding the right goal. Like the, the, mm. the, like the simplest, like the, the, the right goal, the right, right goal. And then understanding that everything, if, if it's an appropriate one, will kind of follow and blossom Every, from that. Yeah. Like there's this concept called discernment in yoga and it's like, okay, this is right. This is the right amount of yoga to be doing. This is the right amount of time to sit in meditation. This is the right food to eat. And this is the right partner to be with. And Or like, you know, this is right and this is wrong. This is helpful and this is not helpful. And there is like, what can we do with discernment if we don't have a goal to place it on? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, you know, okay, I have the goal of paying off my student loans. That's awesome. But that doesn't really help me in determining what I should be eating every single day. <laughs> and that doesn't really help me in determining what my morning practice should be or what time I should wake up and when I should go to sleep. But, but uh, having a bigger goal that is just vague enough to encompass literally everything 
Now it's like, okay, is this conversation bringing me closer to that goal? Is this job bringing me closer to this goal? Is this partner that I'm with, that I'm making love to, is the, are they bringing me closer to that goal? Are they helping me reside in my heart at every moment? Mm-hmm. Like, is this, is this food or this food, like, helping me reside in my heart, making my body sensitive so that I can be closer to the needs of my body? Everything falls into place, and discernment is possible with the goal and so it's really freaking i like pumped like i you know i'm like okay yeah this is what discernment is but it's never been so alive down to oh well that's not a very good thought that's a very divisive thought i don't like that i'm not gonna think that and i'm gonna think something else down to actually being able to witness the mind because there's a goal to like place it all against it's powerful Mm -hmm. and I'm probably not doing it justice in this conversation, but for me, it's like wicked exciting. Well, I mean, I I imagine that the greatest of ideas are very, especially after the lightning bolt strikes to be able to parse it out and Mm -hmm. uh, describe it accurately. And even then you're using language where where a lot of this is a feeling sort of thing. There's, Mm -hmm. there's very, there's, it's tough to translate it from the feeling to the words and then translate it back to the feeling in the, in the hearer's ears, Mm -hmm. um, being able to do that. I admire your desire to be a mother uh, yeah. greatly. It is, uh, I can see that strongly in you. And it's a very, it's such a, I, I don't know, I, it's such a different thing uh, for males versus, like men versus women. And, and it's, it's something that, like, the, it's so, it's much rarer, I feel like, to find find men that like just they just want to be a dad you know (laughs) but i and but at the same time i admire and envy that desire to be a mother um because it is such a it's such a weird wild crazy thing you know that what could be like that is being a mother growing a child inside of you and then birthing it what could be more connected to god than that like really what could what else could there be since i was a child i always imagined oh that hole that i feel biologically and spiritually i imagine that it would be filled by having a child Mm. like to birth something from your body and to hold it i feel like biologically that is a huge god moment that I have wanted to experience my whole life. Because it is one of it is like from a, from like a, like the 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 eggs in the next next generation are being created in your womb as the child. Like mm. you, like your you as a grandmother will have an effect on the grandchild in a, a really profound way, and just the diet as they're gestating. It's like really crazy stuff. But it's also one of the one of the few. Cra- That's so beautiful. That's so incredible. Oh, I want to cry. <laughs> Just like thinking about the generation of women that I have been within. Mm-hmm. <sighs> like you, you were, you were cooking and and baking in grandma's oven like a long time ago. I know, and I love my grandmother so much. <laughs> so to know that is just incredibly magnificent. When I learned that, I think I must have called my grandmother and been like, "I was inside of you." <laughs> no big deal <laughs> and it's a big it's it's crazy 
and and in that birth, it's that it's such a it's such a beautiful chain that has been unbroken from mm-hmm. the first human to now. It's like there's just so much. They, there are very few universal experiences that we can have um, that is like birth or death. Like those those are two of the big ones, and then there's like puberty somewhere in there. <laughs> but like though it, it's it's a <laughs> weird. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah. So. And then, then like, the rush of hormones and endorphins and the the exaltation that comes after giving birth, I just, I, physiological, and maybe it's like, I'm just really tapped into the biological drive, but I, I don't know, it's like weird to be like a seven-year-old thinking about (laughs) having a child and Mm -hmm. how important that is, Um, but it's always been like one of my highest ambitions. Mm. And it's it's been a very interesting conversation, like a, a discussion point between my partner and I, Mackenzie, um, because uh, when we we've been talking and like she has a very similar drive. She wants she she has that like matron like part of her very strong. And it's been very interesting to see her as we've gotten more co- uh, comfortable and and rooted in our in our relationship and growing together to see the the changes that she's made in, in her like practices and her diet and just just to like be a prepared vessel for a child eventually. Vessel absolutely. And the cool thing is that this new goal that I have where the goal is actually clarified. It, I used to str- I used to think like I got to make these changes in my diet so with because I want to be a great mother and I want to be the healthiest version of myself in case I get pregnant. And it was like a struggle and like still that's kind of from the ego like that goal is still from the ego and so those changes were never able to be made Mm -hmm. but as soon as like this goal begins to clarify it's easy to not eat bullshit (laughs) and it's easy to be like you know what i don't want plastic around me (laughs) i don't Mm -hmm. want i don't want this poison and like becoming more aware of that as you know that which is something I've wanted forever to like have this magic pill of <laughs> like <laughs> something that and catalyzes ch- deep change so that I could be a great mother. And then there's the goal above beyond that is what did that. Mm. And so now like the changes are really easy to make. When I'm <laughs> like, ah, what's going to let me abide in my heart, <laughs> you know? So, and you mentioned that you want a home. Um, do you know, where you would want this home. I have the ideal. Oh, yeah? You thought a lot? Yeah, I can tell. I have, actually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There is a space for meditation that faces the east Mm -hmm. as the sun rises, and there is a pond, and ideally, it's like adult. Ideally, for some reason, it's there's a lake, and the sun rises over the lake, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, there is just enough space for growing some food which i'm not super good at someone else is in my vision and uh but a lot of room for herbal plants and herbal medicine and lots of trees and and space for animals to run and that's it that's all i got so far it's a good couple lists it's it's very the um when my parents immigrated from korea they spent a lot of time trying to find the, the like the plot of land on which they would build their house and my dad uh, was very particular about it 
and I forget the exact order of operations of it, but I remember he, he I forget the pronunciation, but it's like the Korean version of feng shui. Mm-hmm. And it's like very important to him and, and the family that they find like the proper home and like the way that the, 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 like the sun rises and the, the way the land slopes, it's very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the feng shui guy kind of came over, he was like, this is rad get this place cool. and, and it, there is, this is a wonderful piece of land and it's a one it's something that yeah. that we've cultivated and my dad has poured a lot of his uh blood sweat and tears into and it's uh, and i want to continue that practice mm. of that and but i also know that like no, new hampshire is a great place but i don't know if that's where me mackenzie and our family want to settle it's it's a tough thing and it's like that like where like mm-hmm. there's so there's so many combinations and like trying to figure out the, the place there, Cold. I like but I, cold. I think I'm gonna have to. Be, it's gonna have to be somewhere colder. I don't know. You know, I know that's not it's not happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. And it's tough because it's like there there are so many options, and yeah. uh, you have to you, ha- you almost have to have uh, things that force you to narrow the choice. Down. Yeah, and I think I think that all I can do is be like, okay, here's here's what I want, and if it serves me, and if it serves you, spirit. You know, mm-hmm. or God, or great ball up in the sky, then let it be so. And if not, then that's okay. Because what really matters is that you know I'm centered and present. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I do want all those things. <laughs> but if it doesn't happen, and if that's not my path, then that's not my path. Mm-hmm. I like to think it is, though. But <laughs> like, you know, just a little hope. That's what. Yeah, I mean. That's what I have to remind myself when I'm like, oh, like, you know, oh, yeah, I want all these things. But, you know, that's that doesn't mean if I don't have those things that I'm not going to be reach my goal of being deeply connected. But then I get to remember, oh, but I also get a say Mm -hmm. like we do. The universe is incredibly responsive. And so I do get to say this is really meaningful to me and important to me. And I mean, the way that my understanding of you know, life works and God works is that, you know, maybe I won't get it, but I do get a say and it is the highest ideal of how I actually live my life. And so I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to make that a reality and then surrender the fruit of the labor because karma may come in and say, you did everything right. And that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. But that's not the outcome, you know? And so all you can do is be like i'm just gonna do all the work to get there and if it doesn't happen then oh well may i be graceful as i as it you know falls like sand through my hand what else do you want before you die or is that a pretty good list that's a pretty good list like, that's pretty <laughs> solid i hope i write a book I'd like to write have a musical album you know it's like really dumb things do you know what you would want your book to be i mean it's probably a lot closer than i think it is you know but um I'm already kind of like writing stuff, anyways. Um, so it's no. an interesting practice. The writing, it's it's so if if you just write a couple things once a week, mm-hmm. have everything collected, and then it's like boom, it's just like a body mm-hmm. of yeah. So. I'm, I'm practicing writing right now, so I have a blog. That was one of the things I'm really proud of. Yeah, in the last six months is that I have a website and a blog. I like I started a project that I've been thinking about for years. So and it's a it's a wonderful thing to have like a uh uh 
a practice, not only like uh, the asana or a physical practice where you're like, I'm pretty awesome because I can do some of these cool things, but also being able to like point to like, look at this thing that I've made and poured mm-hmm. my practice into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, how do you finish the prompt when I die? I want to be really graceful. I should say that louder. <laughs> when I die, I want to, I don't want to be scared. I don't, and I want to be, I just, I want it to be with grace. I want to leave and inspire those with how I lived and how I left. Uh, Mary Oliver has a quote that I'm paraphrasing, but she says something on the lines of, when I die, I don't want to have just visited this world. And, you know, even if it's on a small scale, I I do want to make change. You know, I do want to be a ripple of of change, which sounds like incredibly egotistical. <laughs> so, like, I want to be a change maker in this world, and probably a lot of I've said a lot of what I've said could be viewed that way as I'm sitting here thinking about it. But you know, I do like that's what you know deep deep meaningful connection is. I want have made deep meaningful connections and I want I want people to know that they don't have to be in pain all the time they don't have to be sad and the world doesn't have to be against them all the time and they can interact with it and you know I when I die I want to I don't know I want to I want to leave gracefully I think about my grandmother and her death and you know some people die with their family surrounding them and as my grandmother's health declined due to breast cancer, she, you know, I think that there was a point where she was like, okay, yeah, this is, like, after her second relapse, it was like, okay, yeah, this is probably it. And she sort of succumbed to death. Um, but I, she was a lot more scared mm-hmm. than anything else. There was a lot of fear in it. She certainly never wanted anyone to see her without her hat. Uh, if she knew, I just think if she knew that we all gathered around her on her deathbed as her death rattle is occurring, and you know, if you don't know what death sounds like, you work in hospitals, right? Mm-hmm. So but sure. I've not. I've not yeah, been. I mean, death is not. Death is there's a yeah. It's like you hear death, and it's it's no one ever tells you what death sounds like, and um, it's it sounds like death. And it's not like, it's not like scary. It's just like, oh, okay, it's death. It's like a biological. It's, it's biological, yeah. It's, um, she was on a breathing ventilator and it was mm. horrible to watch her like being forced breath. And it's not like it was keeping her alive. It was just prolonging the inevitable. She would have mm. died eventually. And then, you know, we sang to her as they took her tubes out. She was unconscious by the time she, um, she had had a, she had cancer and so she was in chemo very weak and she um fell as she was coming back from the bathroom one night and we don't know if like she had a heart attack or brain aneurysm or what happened but she was to our perceived eye unconscious and you know she was just breathing and we were like all right we're gonna do it let's take out the the breathing tubes and then to hear her try to breathe on her own it's like like she couldn't swallow so there was all this like her body could not swallow so there was 
all this liquid in her lungs and you know it just sounded like she was dying but it was so I mean it's hard to describe I think that Marie Howe has a really beautiful description of it in a poet a poem I'll send it to you and um if she knew that we were there while she is like making the sounds of death, she would have been horrified. <laughs> she would have. She didn't want anyone to see her the first time that she had cancer because she was so sick. She didn't want anyone to see her like that. She'd always be like, "Remember me differently," you know. And mm-hmm. um, you know, she was scared of death. She didn't want to die. And I, I mean, we think, okay, well, when I die, I want. I don't want that. I don't want that fear. I don't want that you know, clinging to life, unless it's like, I'm clinging to life to, to live, but you know, if it's time to die, I want to die very gracefully, and mm. be like, alright, I did it, I lived. And that's that discernment aspect of like, when is it, when are we trying to live for something, versus mm. trying to live against death? Mm-hmm. And that's a very, it's a very tough, um, it's because of the beautiful advances in, in like, western uh, medicine, it's you can you can sustain life or at least battle death for a very long time mm-hmm. and it's like a startlingly long time and and it's yeah like when you imagine like what was it like before we had ventilators like when people would pass because of respiratory failure just mm-hmm. all the time and it was that idea of like the body can't even sustain breath mm-hmm. like that that's that's a really good sign that it's time to go because that's what it is the body that's death. The body can't sustain breath anymore. It's time to go. I mean, yoga yoga philosophy says that you are born with a certain number of breaths. And, you know, if it's like five, after you hit five breaths, you die, you know? <laughs> Which is why, like, we breathe slow and we, are, we reside in the parasympathetic nervous system versus the sympathetic or the relaxation response. And But, you know, like, once that time is ticked, you know, are we... Brings up an interest... I'm sure it's not... Like, I'm sure that we're not playing God because, you know, it's all God. So, like, the fact that we have ventilators, like, Mm. and we're able to prolong life, that is part of, like, the interconnectedness of spirit in general. But, yeah, I mean, is it necessary, like, do we, is it really good for us that we have done all of this? And sometimes yes, and sometimes it's a little overkill. Mm. Is it too, uh... Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Is it, is... As, so your the passing of your grandmother and being there. To- I actually wasn't there. We weren't there. She died late. She died early, early in the morning when no one was around, oh. which I think is almost certainly how she would have preferred it. I don't think she definitely like my grandfather wasn't even there. You know, mm. like she didn't want anyone to see her when she was sick. She would have absolutely. She was sitting there with her. She was very large-chested woman with her boobs all hanging out. Her skin looked great, by the way. <laughs> and her nails weren't done. Or maybe they were. I'm not sure. But she wasn't wearing her hat. Like, she would have been devastated and horrified if she had known anyone saw her like that in her life. So I think the last thing that she wanted was someone to be there when she died. Mm. So, But that's just, like, her. Mm-hmm. And, like, the preferences that an individual has about that last little bit of self-sovereignty of like how do you pass is such a mm-hmm. it's so it's it is not given the the space or the credence to have that like this is one of the most important things we can 
decide is how do you, in what circumstances, who are you around? Mm-hmm. Do you go to a hospital? Do you do this at home? Like in like a home birth, it's like mm-hmm. a, you, it's a very important bit of, of self-sovereignty. Yeah. I mean, I hope that when I die, um, I hope there's clarity in it. You know, I don't, I do hope that it's not like, I hope I don't bleed to death on the side of the road. You mm-hmm. know, I do think ideally what it would, you know, there would be people there and I'd be able to say, do a lot of goodbyes and, spend like a couple of weeks beforehand writing out like Christmas cards for all the grandchildren <laughs> and birthday cards for everyone for the next 20 years and like mm-hmm. be able to write letters to greet people on their on the most important days like that would be amazing I hope that I can leave something that incredible so that my heart mm-hmm. can go on and for as long as it can mm-hmm. like that <laughs> I hope that I hope I get to do that because that's one of the really cool things about um, writing and and like recordings is the ability to like transcribe a, like smear a little bit of your consciousness like in the world so that it is retained and others can can find it and find joy in it. It's a very wonderful thing. Definitely. Do you? The so it sounds like the passing of your grandmother. You you learned a lot of what you you want to change about your passing. Like you you might you don't necessarily want it to resemble that yeah i mean i don't know if i'm gonna like prefer that people aren't there people are there Mm. but i just know that i want i want to greet death with incredible grace do you has there been a passing that you want yours to resemble you know i i've heard of i've heard of people just greeting death with grace Mm. um and nothing like in really in part particular stands out as something just just the way that people speak about it like i learned so much in the way that he died you know Mm. and he was laughing up until the end and he was joking until the end and you know there's a woman i just heard a story and she would like have people come and sit on her porch in the few like months before she died and she'd ask them what do you think is what's after and then maybe they would talk and they'd have a beautiful conversation and maybe the other person would weep and she would hold their hand because it was about nurturing the person in front of her rather than her and um you know I just I I don't know like the specifics of how I want to die but I just I want there to be life all the way up until the end Mm. and life affirming actions and habits all the way until the end rather than getting caught up in the woe is me i'm not going to be here anymore you know? mm-hmm. it's a very such a we're, we're like such a small blip but we are the blip that is the center of for, for us it's like mm-hmm. such a have you have you considered um what no i'll save that for the next little bit uh what um and so you you haven't you don't necessarily want you you haven't really nailed down like specifics of like what you would want your 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 passage to look like, mm-hmm. but you sort of know that you'd want it to feel a certain way. And I understand that entirely because it is something that I want. I mean, I can't get, I mean, I hope that I die very comfortably mm-hmm. and there's not any pain. Yeah. Like hopefully not like a bus or a but shark yeah. attack or something like that. Like <laughs> be really nice. But you know, if it fall, if it happens, it's like, yeah. there's, there are just there, that I have not been in the presence of someone dying and I have not, had many people die in my life, um, for which I am grateful. Yeah. Yet. Sorry. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. Um, but 
I, I, I haven't yet found a death that I want to resemble. And mm-hmm. it, like finding, finding that just that I know, I know that there have been practices that have been lost of ways to die mm-hmm. that are just gone from us. Ways to die, that'd be a good book. Ways to die. Yeah. Home. Would be. And it's, it's something that I, I, I'm always kind of working on in the back of my brain. Just mm-hmm. like, what is this going to... I think that more importantly is like, how are we living? And then how we are living is going to influence how we die. Mm-hmm. So It is a very lagging indicator. Like if you are... If you are going into death, laughing, smiling, joking, it's not, that's not something that you, you didn't make that You didn't change. really make that up. You're like, you're going through life and that the way. challenges of life, laughing and joking and mm. smiling. And, and facing that, the, the largest uncertainty that we have mm-hmm. in life with, with grace and humor and yeah. lightheartedness. I don't want it to be a surprise that I'm going to die. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not. We, we all know it's going to happen. Mm. So I think that, you know... Um, you know, people like get to the end and they're like, oh, I'm going to die now? What? Why didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. No way. I'm not ready for this. But like, you knew. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew. You knew. <laughs> My, there, there's like a little comic, a little web comic, and it's like this silly thing. And I post it every time, every, every birthday um, for the last like four or five years. And it's just this little, this little guy like waking up. It's like, like a son with a big smile and this kid jumping out of his bed. Like it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next, uh, frame in the, in the web comic is, is like the grim reaper, just like bringing the thing <laughs> over one. <laughs> it's like, I love that. It's yeah. like, it's so funny. And yeah. it's so, it's just like, just always remember that. Like I am over quarter dead at, the very best outset, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we experience small deaths all the time, you know, so it's not, it's part of nature. Like, we can't get rid of it. I remember my first, my first, like, like, oh, death. I was like, Dad, I don't want you to die. Yeah, because I knew what death was, and it was sad. Boo-hoo, they're not here anymore. And my dad was like, well, I'm gonna. <laughs> so, well, too bad. <laughs> Figure something out. It was like a, it was like a very like. Oh well, you can't. I want cookies. We don't have cookies, so too bad. It was like, mm. Dad, I don't want to die. He's like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I was like, what? Was, oh, oh, oh. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's gonna die one day. So it's like he wouldn't try to pretend that he wasn't gonna die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course not. Of course he's gonna die. So. How do you finish the prompt after I die? After I, I die. I like the first things that come to my head is like um, I don't want to worry about it you know I mean because I hope that I like I hope that I made a difference but it's such a tiny blip on like human experience my life Mm -hmm. you know that it's sort of you know sort of doesn't really matter you know in terms of like what I um what I accomplished and what I created, I think what's more significant is God, please don't let me fuck anything up. (laughs) (laughs) Please. When I die, please don't make anyone's life worse. Mm. Please don't fuck anything up for anyone else. Mm. You know, let me, let me live as well and right as I can so that I bring either neutrality or like positive, Mm. blessings into their life. I don't want to leave someone like a billion dollars in debt and mm-hmm. and like two kids and they're all five years old. You know, like let me please just 
not ruin anything for someone. There's a there's this astronaut Chris Hadfield um, who has this really I love this idea where to try to don't try to be a positive. Try to be a zero. Yeah. Like just like when you're in a new situation, you're just getting your bearings. Don't go in guns blaze and trying to help everybody when you don't understand the, the circumstances, the, like the relationships. Moving into social justice field, like there's like this desire to like go out and reach it, but you gotta chill for a second. Gotta chill. Get your be bearings. a zero. Like yeah. observe, hang back. At at the very least, just mm-hmm. don't actively cause harm. <laughs> like just just be a zero, be okay with that, and then when you're comfortable, then add in the positives. Try to like fold those in. But just then that like just don't don't fuck things up for people. Don't just don't be a jerk. I did always have a, a nice like sentimental, I like, guess heck, so I imagine that everyone else is also sentimental. <laughs> and um, I was like, Ooh, just give my ashes to everybody. Just put me in all these different vials and ship them off and then people can say goodbye as they want. So I guess that's it. I want to be cremated, mm. and I, you know, I want to be put to rest the way that people want me to be put to rest. I guess I hope I'm important enough to people that they want a little bit of me to put to rest their, in their own way. Mm. Um, but I always had that idea as a child to like, to like give everyone a little bit of my ashes because what if they want? What if they want me on their mantelpiece? Mm. What if they? What if they want me on that tree back there? What if they want to smoke me? What if they want me in the water? You know, so, because, but that's also, like, I recognize through discernment that's also a pretty, like, egotistical thing that I am special enough to be (laughs) given out to friends Mm -hmm. and family. Doled out, like. Like, oh, here, here's some of Kristen. (laughs) You know, like. Like here's me, my big head, thinking that people are gonna want that. Because mm-hmm. that was that was the question I was gonna ask earlier. Was did you have you thought about um, burying your body and having it nourish a sapling or a mm-hmm. plant? I have thought about that. That'd be really lovely. I mean, cut me up. <laughs> <laughs> a lot know. to go around. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I guess that will when it when it. For now, for now, because I don't, I haven't done enough research to be able to be like, this is where I want me. Like, at mm. this moment, if I were to die tomorrow, please cremate me. Don't put me in the ground. It's a big old waste of space. Mm. Um, you know, but maybe in the future, after I do a lot of research and maybe have some land and, you know, have a, a space that I'm really connected to, then, yeah, maybe put me <laughs> put me in a pod and turn me into mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> there are little fungus brothers there. Yeah. Is there um are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Mm. Um I, I'm pretty pessimistic about the future, but I think that we are in a spiral of it's 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 interesting. I think that for the larger like administration currently that we're under I think that there's a lot of damage that's about to be uh, that's about to occur, um, and I'm really um, there's a lot that can be messed up in four years, and I think a lot is about to happen. Um, but I'm also optimistic that there's incredible um, cohesiveness and unity that's also occurring. Um, I fear that it's going to get a lot harder before it gets better. And 
But that, you know, that's sort of just like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is what it is, you yeah. know? So it's, I think that that's just the reality of the situation. Not that that is truth, but that's what I perceive as quote unquote truth mm-hmm. at this time. So, you know, I'm, I'm sad for the world because these atrocities and the horrors of the world are really loud currently, mm-hmm. but I'm optimistic that in many ways it'll bring us closer together. So short-term pessimistic, maybe long-term optimistic? I think, um, I just, I think that they're two sides of the same coin, you know, that mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of, I don't think that it's the shitty things are going to stop. But I, I don't think that the unity that is being created right now is going to stop either. Mm-hmm. I think they're just going to both keep going. <laughs> and hopefully maybe we'll turn the coin over and there'll be like more of the beautiful, optimistic side. But I don't think it's in human nature to have complete balance and harmony. Mm. I don't think it's in the nature of the universe for complete balance and harmony to exist. Yeah, it likes interesting things. Yeah. Interesting, crazy, wacky things. Yeah, and like chaos is a thing too. So like, you know, if... <laughs> So it's, I think it's ridiculous of us to think that one day there's going to be great peace all over the land. That's never the case, ever. Even in nature, there's always going to be the forest fire that comes and burns everything to the ground, and there's going to be new growth. It's not going to... So I think that things are exactly how they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. because it would be impossible for it to be otherwise, mm-hmm. um, according to, like, six, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, and... I'm just, I just want to do everything that I can to bring neutrality or like positivity into this world if that is my calling. But, um, yeah, I, so I think about the world not, and not like I'm not ready to go do my part and I'm not, I'm really searching for what my part is because I do feel really strongly about some things that are going on, but I'm not going to be a fool to think that the fruit is going to taste really good at the end, but I'm going to do the work regardless. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even though, you know, the people at Standing Rock, they know that they're not going to win. You know, it's like the government has guns and they're big. And, you know, there's been centuries of, of tearing people from their, tearing these exact people from their land. But, and they know that there's not going to be fruit of the fruit that, you know, of like the fresh, clean water that they're looking for. They, it's not happening. I think it's already not happened. You know, they were torn from their land on the 21st. They were like, on the 22nd, we're going to have a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of people are going to come in and you're going to be raided. But it happened on the 21st, so they weren't expecting it. And so, you know, they knew that, they knew, I think. And as soon as Trump came into office, I think we all knew that, like, something awful was going to happen. But they did it. They did the work anyways. And they showed up and they stood up anyways. And I think that, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I can know that chances are um, maybe I'll make some small change on, like, a personal level. But the grand scheme of things, I can't fix everything. But I'm Mm going to do everything I can to move in that direction. Mm Like, you might not know exactly the things that need to be done in the order and sequence, but you know the direction that you need to head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at least accepting that is right. pretty 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes like that, that peaceful, compassionate embodiment is that work, you know, and I feel like it falls in line with that higher goal that we were talking about earlier because, you know, sometimes compassion doesn't look like what you want compassion to look like, you mm-hmm. know, but as long as there is openness and connectedness in my heart, even if the work is really fucking hard, as long as that space is there and that connection is there, then I'm going to do it. We've been talking for a little while. We have been talking for a long time. It's good, good time, good time, yeah. not long time, good time. And uh, I, we've been circling each other for a while. It's been really nice to finally get this conversation in reality and yeah. to actually have it happen. And I want to uh, give you the last few minutes uh, to say whatever you would like to and to conclude our lovely conversation, whether you're directing it to the audience who's listening to this in the future, in the far future, maybe whoever knows when people will listen to this. Mm-hmm. Or um, you're talking to a past Christian who's all goofy and being young, or maybe older Christian who has had a couple kids and trying to figure stuff out as she makes the transition towards death, or maybe you're talking to a child of yours in the future. Um, but uh, whoever you're talking to, uh, the floor is yours. Wow. Okay. Um, that's really significant. <laughs> First thing I guess I want to say is I'm really sorry for everything that I've held on to and all the ways that I've punished myself and punished others who I perceive have hurt me. Um, and I guess I... I don't know, I pray for presence and I pray for safety and pray for groundedness and I don't know, I'm sort of like I'm even just a little paralyzed just (laughs) thinking about that. Let me I guess I just want to say that you are whole already. And I know it's not enough for me to just say that you're whole, to feel that you're whole. Uh, And there's a lot of life experiences that you're going to have to go through to come down, and a lot of grasping, and a lot of running from pain, and a lot of cultivating that will lead you to that realization so that it sits in your body and in your heart and in your mind. But you are. You are already whole. And you are already home. And Yeah. And drink some plants. It's <laughs> like, go drink a glass of tea. <laughs> drink some tea. <laughs> Fully endorse that entirely. Cool. Kristen, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I hope the audience thinks so as well. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. This Big hug? Yeah. I feel like I'm not even.